I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Remus Uomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockus Nationwide. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Ireland's World Cup journey. Joe Schmidt's side are on their way home after that 46-14 defeat to New Zealand, but still in Japan and joining us on the line is Jonathan Bradley. Hey guys, how are you? Not too bad, how are you Jonathan? You're you're sticking it out then in Japan for the, the remainder of the tournament despite Ireland's early exit? Yeah, sticking it out to the bitter end. Um, that's what confidence brings you when you book your flight for uh, after the final. Well, look, like God loves an optimist. Um, so... You've arrived in Yokohama and you're you're still going to be going then to the the semi finals and the finals, all right? Yeah, so it would be uh, it would be churlish to complain too much. I think um, <laughs> when you've got England v New Zealand on Saturday to come, but um, yes, so I'm in Yokohama. Unfortunately, all the teams are based in Tokyo still this week, so fair amount of time on the on the train going to a few different press conferences this week. I went to the All Blacks today. Uh, I think I'm going to go to the Springboks tomorrow, maybe Wales tomorrow, don't know yet. And that's really going to be sort of the plan for the week. Just go and see, see a few different press conferences, write about a few different things. Yeah, it'd be nice to just spread your wings a little bit there. So Ireland's journey, of course, now is over. And that means it is finally, after all the, the preamble, all the build-up, it is the end of the road for Rory Best's first-class career. It was, I can imagine, just watching on, on TV and from the reaction back here, it was quite an emotional day for Rory and for Ulster and Irish rugby in general. What was it like uh, to be there and to get speaking to Rory afterwards? So it's quite strange, I think, when you have these... Um huge players and have had huge careers but they're leaving in a World Cup because obviously the narrative to the defeat isn't so much the fact that their career's over it's the fact that you know the main story is the fact that Ireland have been knocked yeah. out of a World Cup and the fashion in which they got knocked out of it so I suppose you tend to think that the story's probably elsewhere but you know you look at the reaction that Rory got from the Irish fans it was the only thing they really had to cheer I suppose on the day whenever he was had to fulfil his media obligations on the pitch just um, speaking to TV thought it was nice that he still was able to sort of get his family under, or his kids out of the pitch and still sort of savour things in that way I think uh, going off his Instagram he's been out to Disneyland today or yesterday so um, getting a wee break already um, purely away from the rugby I suppose mm-hmm. Strange run, like it was such a long, long lead in to his retirement. I think it was April, he announced that he was going to be retiring. Mm-hmm. Might have been May, pretty sure it was April. So, you know, that's whatever it is, six months now that we've known this was coming. So, sort of career obituaries, if you like, had already been written several times. And mm-hmm. as I said, the real focus is the, the post mortem of the World Cup. Yeah, well. We'll, we'll get on obviously to the game itself in a little while but um, it'll be nice to just hear a little bit now from what Rory had to say and what was his final uh, official press conference as Ireland captain. Tired, sore, upset. Um, right now you, you focus on what's just gone and we have a, a lot of big ta- characters in that changing room and it's not often that you get a changing room that's, that's deadly silent and, and that was what happened, you know, there was... There was big men in tears, and and you know that's what happens whenever you put your heart and soul into everything. Um, but you hope um, 
given time, that you get time to reflect on on what has been an incredible few years for this team. And like I say, right now it's it's focused on the disappointment, but but we will look back. I think this World Cup has been we've had some 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 big occasions. You know, we started the it was so much pressure heaped on us at the start and that we don't start tournaments well and this, that, the other, and we come out and we produced a big performance against Scotland and we dipped against Japan, who, you know, went from strength to strength. They're a, they're a fantastic team. And it has been a little bit of a, a roller coaster of emotion, pressure, everything. And, and I think what's been, been really good is, is the way that this group has stuck together. And, and honestly, the way we're prepared this week, we went into this game fully expecting to win. You don't always get that, but at least we had that. And it didn't happen first tonight. But I think this World Cup in Japan has had a lot of things. It's had upsets, it's had weather, it's had some fantastic performances. And I think credit has to go to, to Japanese rugby and, and world rugby for, for you know, having the, I suppose, the balls to bring it here. And, and you know, I think it's been a fantastic tournament and we're unbelievably upset to be leaving it. And, and I'm unbelievably upset to have, with the thought that I'll never pull on a green jersey again except to go and support. So Jonathan, you wrote a little bit about Rory in yesterday in Monday's paper, I think it was, just saying that he, uh, as Ireland's most successful ever captain, will go down as one of, of Ulster's true greats. And I suppose that's the way everybody on the whole Ireland, regarding, regardless of what has been said about doubts over his ability in, in recent times, now looking back, everybody will, I'm sure, appreciate uh, just what he's done. Yeah, I think um, we can probably tie this into a wider appreciation of um, the last three years, I suppose, during Rory's time as captain. There have been some incredible, incredible successes, unforgettable successes, um, things that will go down in the history of Irish rugby have happened while he's been the skipper of the side. You look at just the amount of caps he's won, his sheer longevity, I suppose, as well, you know, to be playing at the level that he's playing at until 37. He's still Ireland's best hooker this tournament, I think, has shown that. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens with uh, the captaincy moving forward, I think. Well, that is one of the most interesting parts of it for Ireland. Where can you see, obviously, Andy Farrell comes in, will have all his, uh, his own stamps, his own changes to make on the squad, but where can you see the captaincy going? I think it'll probably go... I think it, part of it depends on players' form over the next um, couple of weeks, but or sorry, a couple of months. But I think if Peter O'Mahony emerges as a sure starter, then I think he probably gets it. If not, I think it's Sexton. Personally, I think it's a real argument for James Ryan. But already, I yeah, um, you know. Is it rushing him into something? Possibly, but you're talking about a player that played for Ireland before he played for Leinster, so there's never been any qualms about fast-tracking him. I think from the way the players have spoken about him recently, especially over the last five weeks, he's really grown in terms of his leadership capacity within this squad. He's obviously always been had leadership quality. He's captained every team he's ever played for, I think. But um, in terms of his leadership position within this squad, it seems like it's really come on, even you know throughout the World Cup warm-ups as well as this tournament. Um, if he's not Ireland's best player, he's very close to Ireland's best player. And he certainly should be Ireland's best player in four years' time. <laughs> and certainly should be the captain in four years' time. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of do you take this as a 
full four-year cycle, a full four-year entity? Or do you say that it's going to be O'Mahony or Sexton for the next two years and then make it around? Yeah, it's an interesting... I suppose that's part of the whole tactical thing now is the how Ireland can ensure they, they peak in a World Cup year next time rather than the year before the World Cup. But uh, Well, that's 100% it. It's a case of whether... Basically, the, the reason that I think the choice of captain is so big because it's an indication of whether you're saying that the World Cup preparation has started now or whether you say that what happens year to year in the Six Nations is too important and you'll start building towards the World Cup whenever you normally start building the world towards the World Cup. I mean, it's interesting to hear Eddie Jones talking today out in, uh, out in Disneyland um, just about the fact that they've been preparing for essentially to play the All Blacks in a World Cup semi-final for two and a half years because they looked at the fixtures and pretty much knew this was coming. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that and we're, he's said it before, like, you know, um, just in terms of what they were doing year to year in the Six Nations, how much of the first couple was geared towards improving the fitness um, making them tough to beat and then mm-hmm. eventually the attack and they were working on this year to year whereas as much as Ireland said they probably let last year's Six Nations say this year's Six Nations sit by them you know there still wasn't an awful lot of um, experimentation in terms of selection I think it might just mm-hmm. be convenient to say that you were experimenting um, whenever you get hammered yeah it's interesting I hadn't really, really thought about that because that's the flip side of it Ireland saying that they focused too much on the World Cup for too long so I suppose that's what makes it interesting wondering what way Andy Farrell's going to going to take it over the next four years because it's not just a matter of I suppose the captaincy or anything like that you've also got you know <laughs> Rob Carney is not going to be your fullback at the next World Cup Johnny Sexton is likely not going to be your 10 at the next World Cup um, well you wouldn't like to think Connor so really at 38 even so, well yeah but um Conor Murray even is 30, Peter Omani I think is 30, you know, more than a quarter of this squad was in their 30s, they don't have another World Cup in them. I don't think that Ireland has the luxury of um, making wholesale changes the way that we see the All Blacks do, or even, you know, the other Southern Hemisphere teams after a World Cup, because one, the player pool isn't as deep, and two, there's so much of an emphasis on the money that the Six Nations makes. The popularity of this team, as with this sport rather, is so linked towards the Six Nations, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people don't care about the Pro 14 or the like, but yeah. certainly turn away. Even the sponsorship is really centred towards centred around the national team so if interest lo- if interest drops because Ireland are experimenting during the Six Nations to build towards the World Cup then financially it's very difficult but you have to sort of make that balance between putting the best team on the field for 2020 and doing what you can to make sure that we're not having this conversation again in 2023 yeah absolutely um, just finally on, on Rory Best what what sort of gap does he leave in in the squad for Ireland and I suppose for, for Ulster as well? Like how significant is that, not even as a player, but as a person, how difficult is that a man of that stature to replace? I suppose it's like the old Roy Keane leaving United thing, you're not going to? Yeah, I think there's certainly good leaders in the squad. There's a good leadership group within that squad. But the captaincy is certainly a difficult position to hold I think mm-hmm. nobody's ever really going to say it but like 
it's a bit of a slog being Ireland captain to be 100% honest with you like the amount of engagements the amount of media the amount of extra attention put upon you mm-hmm. like it's not an easy thing to succeed at then you look at I suppose really the interactions with the referees if that's fair two of the leading candidates have had you know Johnny Sexton in the past and don't have the numbers in front of me but my impression has been that Peter Romani has gone on the wrong side of referees at this tournament mm-hmm. so that's something that needs to be looked at and then there's also simply the fact that Rory Best I think I said this earlier if I didn't I wrote it earlier is still Ireland's best hooker mm-hmm. at 37 years old so I think there'll be there's a real chance for Rob Herring now that he's actually going to get to start the big big European games get a real run of starting those big fixtures to lay a claim because at the end of the day nobody else has really done it mm-hmm. there are huge young hookers in Irish rugby like you know Ronan Callagher's hugely thought of in Leinster Dylan Taylor Martin he's hugely well thought of in Connacht you've got Tom Stewart that everyone's very enthusiastic about here you've got Adam mm-hmm. McBurney and here he's going to see more minutes in the absence of Rory Best but like I don't know when it, come, when it comes to he's going to start um, against Scotland in 2020 like I think your guess is as good as mine yeah absolutely so what what happens now for Rory Best do we know much about uh, what he's going to do with his retirement other than spend some time with the family and on the farm yeah he's not really spoken too much about it obviously this is I suppose one of the one of the things about a World Cup because he wasn't really overly interested in discussing his retirement obviously because so, you know this time last week he was still talking like he had another two or three weeks to go and he would uh, be discussed afterwards as I say he, I don't think he's gone back to Ireland he was certainly staying out in Disneyland with the family um, yesterday I think a good number of the squad have flown back today so he might have gone back today mm-hmm. Joe Schmidt certainly going back to Ireland um, probably in the air as we speak actually Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I'm sure like everybody, uh, uh, sorry, like an awful lot of the other players, it's going to be a holiday and just try and get away from rugby for, for a while, yeah. first and foremost. Yeah. Well, one man who is getting away from rugby for a while, you mentioned there, is, is Joe Schmidt, as you had written last week. Who knows where or when we're going to see Joe Schmidt next. Um, obviously, that's his tenure as Ireland coach over now. Some re- reporters, some people, CJ Standard's wife included, felt were very harsh towards the Ireland squad in general, but I had sort of noticed as well, har- harsh towards Joe Schmidt and what his legacy will now be, and sort of that the whole thing was, was hugely marred by these two World Cup quarterfinal defeats and obviously the manner of them, but how for you will Joe Schmidt be remembered, or how, how should he be remembered for his, uh, his time as Ireland coach as a whole? Yeah, well, I suppose, I'll, first of all, I'll separate what I'm about to say and people here saying that the team should be absolved of all criticism because they tried really, really hard. Um, but I think to suggest that Joe Schmidt's legacy is a blown to smithereens because Ireland are rubbish against New Zealand is a stretch. Like, you know, mm-hmm. last year was still the best year in the history of Irish rugby. Um, it still <laughs> it still is regardless of the fact that the World Cup went badly I think everything that Joe Schmidt achieved down from back to back Six Nations titles for the first time since the 40s um, a Grand 
slam that involved them winning in Paris and Twickenham for the first time ever. Even just the first time that they'd won those two fixtures since 1972. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same season, a first win in South Africa, a first series win in Australia since 1979. And... Probably most storied of all will be, of course, the two wins over the All Blacks, given them um, the 111 years of trying that preceded it. So, George Smith is Ireland's most successful coach. I think it would have been a fitting ending for him if he had have been able to separate himself from the group in terms of world, a World Cup quarterfinal in the way that he separated himself from the group with all those other things that he was able to able to achieve but I don't think he suddenly become you know it's churlish to deny the fact that he's Ireland's greatest coach mm-hmm. yeah. given that he couldn't get to a World Cup semi-final when nobody, none of the other coaches could get to a World Cup yeah. semi-final no absolutely especially when your quarter-final was against uh, who it was against this time I suppose that doesn't, that doesn't explain uh, 2015 but anyway um, the Media reaction in general then to Saturday, I think it's just worth uh, chatting about it a little bit briefly. I mean, CJ Standard's wife had said yesterday that she would be like, wouldn't want to come back to Ireland if she was one of the players and had had read the things that she had read after the game. For you, has it been a little bit harsh the way the team has been been dealt with in certain sections of the media? Um, I don't know if I would say it's harsh like part of the nature of the gig I think is and there's obviously an awful lot of things that are great about being a professional rugby player for Ireland but Mm -hmm. part of part of what goes with that is when you don't succeed and you fall below the standards that you set for yourself then people are entitled to ask why I think like Mm -hmm. If nobody cared, then you wouldn't be making the money that you're making. And I don't think, I don't know specifically what CJ Sanders' wife was referring to. Mm-hmm. But an awful lot, you know, Michael Flatley, for example, was one of the people saying that, you know, they tried really hard. And I think CJ Sanders' wife said they sacrificed so much. And it's like, Trying hard is a prerequisite of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You don't get a buy ball if you don't. So you don't get a buy ball in professional sport for trying hard. I think there's a need for context in the sense that nobody died or anything. But like, if you have a disastrous World Cup, to think that everyone's still going to be like, well, they gave it their best shot, isn't how sport works, or isn't how the media works, because then there'd be no point in any of us. <laughs> We'd always just be saying the same thing, regardless of the result. Yeah, yeah. So the game itself, everything probably been uh, almost said and done after that game, but uh, it was really 2019 Ireland at its worst, rather than anything from from 2018. Unfortunately, that that turned up, and obviously when that happens against New Zealand, you're going to get exactly what you got—a game that's over after after 20 minutes. Yeah, like all week, I think we talked about how Ireland had to be pretty close to perfect and right on the money with all their stuff, and obviously they weren't. You could see that after five minutes. I think 20 minutes in, you had the um, Italia five handling errors, and 
uh, obviously one missed penalty to touch and you can't have those kind of inactivities and these are good rugby players so we don't expect to see such inaccuracies from them and obviously I think a huge part of it must be pressure and a huge part of it must be mental because they're a far better rugby team than they showed yeah. certainly on Saturday but also really good with this tournament really. mm-hmm. yeah and obviously that's the, the flip side of it just how good New Zealand were because for the the other two times that Ireland had beaten them New Zealand didn't get it right at the World Cup and they absolutely got it got it spot on on Saturday morning yeah I'd said before that I didn't think this team had the same sort of level of invincibility or seeming invincibility mm-hmm. as the um team did four years ago the point that I was making was the team four years ago could have an off day and still beat you whereas this team when they clicked were going to absolutely or sorry four years ago when they clicked they were going to absolutely thump you and I didn't know if that was the case for this team obviously that was hugely hugely wrong because we saw what happened when they clicked uh, like they didn't have to be that good because Ireland gave them so many access points into the game through through their own mistakes. But it was a really, really impressive performance from a team that, and I don't want to sound silly here given the way the result went, but a team that's not a vintage All Blacks team in the way the 2015 was. Mm-hmm. Do you... Probably a fairly sobering thought that, you know, what, 12 months ago was probably Ireland's greatest rugby team. Um, gets to the World Cup and can't beat what is by New Zealand standards just a good rugby team yeah well it's just that's the doesn't well for uh, winning the World Cup in the future like no not not overly um, do you expect New Zealand to go on and win it now um, I do I think Saturday would have been a better final than the final we're likely to get um, I know I predicted England at the start of the tournament so this might just be hedging my bets <laughs> my pick at New Zealand now but um, I just think that they've probably been the most impressive of the teams so far in the sense that they've beat South Africa really well they've beat Ireland really well maybe not better in England because they haven't really been tested obviously they played a pretty bad Argentina team and had a game against France cancelled and they're like they were very good against Australia too, but um, Australia I think are a level a level below Ireland who mm-hmm. are a level below um, England and New Zealand. Yeah. So like you can't put too much stock in the fact that England haven't had the opportunity to play a top level team, but I just think the way that New Zealand have won those games makes me think that they're probably a better team than I give them credit for in the summer. Yeah. It's certainly shaping up to be a good game this weekend and <clears throat> probably safe to say with no disrespect to Wales or South Africa that whoever wins that game against New Zealand, between New Zealand and England are probably all but world champions elect at that stage. Yeah, they'd certainly be favourites going into the final. Like, um, Obviously Wales know who they can beat England. <laughs> They've done it recently. And South Africa have given New Zealand problems in the even more recently recently than that, but I think those two teams, England and New Zealand, have more ways to beat you, mm-hmm. um, and just a wider array of really really quality players. Like you know, you've seen it from South Africa um, at the weekend. Like they're really really effective at what they're doing, but 
it was a you know it was a tight run thing with Japan when they were trying to play a bit more trying to play a bit more rugby was when they sort of began to squeeze the life out of things that they really choked the game out and I'm not sure if you're going to be able to do that to New Zealand and same with Wales like they probably had one of the more impressive performances of the early stages of this tournament when they uh, when they beat Australia but haven't really convinced since then and obviously like um, we haven't spoken about it but it should have got beat by France and um, even after France went down to 14 men they still have chances to win that game and if you're going on the basis of what we've just seen, I don't think um, that they'd really relish playing either England or New Zealand either come a final. No, absolutely not. So just finally to, to bookend Ireland's adventure in Japan, what now? Roy Best, Joe Schmidt's gone, Andy Farrell's going to come in. What's the next we're going to hear from, from the RFU and from Andy Farrell in particular and when? The um, squad normally has a get-together around Christmas after the second set of... Uh, Champions Cup fixtures that'll maybe take on the form this year of uh, I suppose heavier D- World Cup debrief and then before you know it after that obviously the yeah, coming into the Six Nations you know we're only 14 weeks now from the Six Nations so it's going to be a hugely um, fascinating really tournament from Ireland's perspective because it's so much um, in flux from the coaching situation the way that Ireland play has been so dominated by Joe Schmidt's style, really. Mm-hmm. Um, him as the attacking mind for the coaching ticket. We know already that's going to be Mike Cat um, coming in from Italy. It's going to be interesting to see, obviously, with there being such continuity in the coaching ticket, how much um, we see maintained from the last couple of years and how much we see change, and obviously just personnel as well. It's not really immediately obvious. A huge amount of um, sort of fresh blood waiting in the wings to come in. You know, um, James Lowe qualifies in 2020, but not for the Six Nations. Um, Will Addison's obviously an exciting player who, if he can get a run injury free, might come into that picture. But mm-hmm. other than that, you know, most of the players that we're going to see in February and March are going to be players that we saw here in Japan. So if there's going to be change, it's really going to come in terms of. Um, I suppose the approach to the game rather than those playing it Mm -hmm. well look it's all for another day we'll have it all ahead of us but for for now you have the final stages of the World Cup to look forward to so enjoy the semi-finals this weekend and we'll talk to you very soon cheers guys talk to you soon you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundups World Cup Special brought to you in association with Wee Masuo Victoria Square Belfast and Stockist Nationwide so back in provincial matters then, uh, Ulster get back underway this weekend when they host Cardiff Blues at home on Friday night. Going to be there, live blogging, as usual for the Belfast Telegraph, is Adam McKendry, who now joins us on the line. Hello, Adam. Hey, Gareth. How's the form? All good. Uh, well, I say all good, but I, it couldn't be further from the truth, because just before recording, we have received Ulster's injury update ahead of the, the game this weekend. Chief in the injury news, as you say, devastating because devastating. Michael Lowry, the podcast's favourite son, is out for six to eight weeks after undergoing ankle surgery. We obviously knew there there was a little problem there with Michael. We well, I didn't think it was going to be be this serious. Uh, was was there any indication before this that it was going to be this length of a, of a, a layoff? Well, certainly, I, I wasn't aware personally that it was going to be this big a layoff, but. 
clearly something that he's aggravated in the Cheetahs game because it kept him out of the Kings and now it's going to keep him out for a bit more of an extended period. This is actually a big blow for Ulster because Lowry is a really handy guy to have in reserve on the bench. I think he's been pushing for a few starts as well, to be honest. But um, certainly off the bench, he's been really useful for Ulster in terms of being able to bring him on with maybe 20 minutes to go. The opposition defence is tiring and he can just add that little bit of energy, that little bit of zip, the ability to spot a gap and really re-energise a back line, especially going into Europe where you really need guys who can come off the bench and really lift the team in the late stages of a game where potentially it's quite close. Larry's going to be a huge loss for them. That's nothing against Billy Burns or Bill Johnson, who, who ever got the start. Um, but I think Larry is just so essential to this team at the moment in terms of that bench impact we've seen in recent years where teams love to rename their substitutes into finishers or game changers or mm-hmm. whatever term you want to use. It's, it's really apt in terms of Larry, who can really add that extra 5-10% coming on off the bench. So, big blow, and especially for him as well. He, he's had his injury problems with Ulster since since coming up to the senior squad, and it's a shame to see that he's going to be curtailed again, especially mm-hmm. this season where it looked like he really was maybe mm-hmm. going to push on so real disappointment on his part so that means 68 weeks means he obviously miss uh, the upcoming pro 14 games at home to uh, blues and zebra then away to monster the first two european games bath and claremont and then he also looks like definitely miss the the next home game against scarlet but those 68 weeks falling right in between that time frame are the back-to-back Champions Cup games against the uh, Harlequins. So I suppose that being the most optimistic, that's what he'll be, be targeting returning in time for those, but possibly more realistic it'll be the the interpros over the, the festive period. So yeah, not exactly the news Ulster were looking for. What When did he pick up this injury? It has to have been during the Cheetahs game or very early that week against uh, in, uh, in training for the Kings game, but I, I think it's in the latter stages of the Cheetahs game. We, we don't know for sure, yeah. but um, no, it's, it's just a hammer blow. But as you said, he's got those Harlequins games to aim for as the front end of the 68 weeks that he could be out for, um, and he can really make, it, make a push for getting back in the squad for certainly the first game. Mm-hmm. Also in that injury update then we have Rob Little is out this weekend with a back injury, Tommy O'Hagan, O'Hagan out with a knee injury, that's all the, the information we're given there. So what can we expect from the team this weekend? Obviously Ireland are, are flying back tonight, Jacob Stockdale and Nina Henderson we can safely say will definitely not be playing. Uh, is that likely to be any different for the likes of Jordy Murphy who didn't get much game time or Rob Herring who really was only out in Japan for a few days, probably particularly Rob Herring. Is there any chance? I would say unlikely. One of the things you've got to bear in mind with Rob Herring is he came back from South Africa, stayed one night in Belfast, then immediately flew straight back out to (laughs) Tokyo. So his body clock has got to be all over the place right now, and you don't really want him coming back to Ireland and then pitching him straight into a game three days later. So I I wouldn't say say no because uh, Ulster I'm sure love to throw a spanner in the works every so often by pitching a player in whenever you least expect it but 
for the at the same time I think you're asking too much of mm-hmm. Rob Herring to come back and go straight into a game Jordy yeah. Murphy maybe has a little bit more of a chance to play since he, he had more time to acclimatise mm-hmm. and he didn't play uh, as much out in Japan as he maybe would have thought when he headed out but at the same time given that you're looking at the season as, as a long process and with all due respect to Cardiff there are bigger games on the horizon than this Absolutely. one I think you really want to prioritise player welfare this weekend you mm-hmm. don't want to put a guy in when he's not 100% ready yeah. you got to give these guys at least a day off the pitch after coming back from Japan you can't you can't expect them to rock up to training on Wednesday morning and be <laughs> fit and firing uh, as as if they played the week before. So uh, I, I think from a from a longevity perspective, you've got to look at this week as we're dealing without all of our Ireland guys. Mm-hmm. Will that just be uh, this week though, or or is it realistic even to expect them for Zebra? Or like really, well, are, jo- are we going to see Jordy, them before Jordy the Europeans? Jordy and Rob, I think you can definitely bring back into the mix for Zebra because they didn't play Rob didn't play at all during the World mm. Cup and Jordy only played a handful of minutes out in Japan so I think you can definitely bring them back in for next week uh, and then with the RFU player welfare uh, status I think Jacob and, and Ian will probably sit out until Munster at the earliest if mm. not the European games I'd imagine they would Ulster will probably want to give them both at least one game back before before that uh, Bath game, but we, we don't know. IRFU player welfare may see them sit out until the European Games, but I would imagine next week you're looking at seeing Jordy uh, uh, okay. and and Rob back Rob. In, back in the mix. Okay, so what can we expect uh, team news wise for uh, this weekend? Then that probably leaves fairly similar sort of squad to the. The, the Cheetahs game in particular I suppose yeah I think the, the fact that the injury update wasn't all that extensive probably means good news rather than bad news so you're probably looking at Stuart McCluskey being okay Marcel Kutsia got through uh, 70 minutes out in Port Elizabeth against the Kings so that's good um, and obviously you'd like to think that that means he'll be able to maybe put in a full 80 yeah. this weekend against Cardiff where it'll be so important in that back row mix so I, I think you're, you're probably looking at something not too dissimilar to what played the Kings you'll you'll have yeah, okay. your changes here and there I think Kieran Treadwell would probably come back into the second row um, and I, I would imagine you'd maybe have a, have a switch round in, in the backs somewhere maybe bringing James Hume back in given how good he was in the first two games so I think you'll see a couple of changes, but for the for the most part, I think you're probably going to have much the same side that went out against mm-hmm. uh, against the Kings. We don't know yet about Jack McGrath or or uh, Marty Murr or Will Addison, mm-hmm. three guys who have been out a little bit more yeah. long term. But uh, I'm sure we'll get a, a better understanding as the week goes on. Yeah. So this game then on Friday night. Cardiff so far they've just sort of scraped past Southern Kings uh, down in South Africa uh, they have then come back to lose to both Edinburgh and Glasgow so when you take into account their form this season really anything less than, than five points would be a, a failure for Ulster yeah it hasn't been a great start for Cardiff 
and I know they've, they've been hit by a few call-ups to the World Cup and they're going to be hit by another one because Owen Lane is expected to go out to Japan to replace Josh Navidi in the, okay. in the Wales squad. But we, we've talked about the start that Ulster have to make in Conference A and already they've got that little bit of breathing space on the Ospreys in Glasgow just courtesy of the start that they've made. And I think if you want to hammer home that advantage, you got to be looking at five points this weekend. It won't be easy. I think Cardiff, Cardiff, in the context of their start, have actually had a pretty tough run of fixtures. They're, they went to South Africa first game of the season, which is never easy to do. Mm-hmm. They came away with a win, and then they've come back and played two very tough games against two sides who would certainly be expecting to be in the playoffs at the end of the season in Edinburgh and Glasgow. So I, I think you can't read too much into the fact that they... They've won one and lost two. I, I think okay. whenever you consider the opposition, they've had two tough games. Now, they haven't played up to their expectations, that's for sure. I, I know um, John Mulvihill has spoken about how they, they haven't been happy with how they've been playing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you give these guys an inch and they'll take a mile. You look at that back row, Ollie Robinson, we all know how good Nick Williams is. And one of the things I'm most impressed by with how Cardiff have managed Nick Williams is they've turned him into a dual threat and that he's not just a ball carrier anymore. He is now a breakdown threat at number eight as well. So that back row is vital. And we've seen how Ulster's back row can dip in and out of games in terms of their breakdown threat. So I think that's somewhere that Cardiff will probably be trying to target, trying to slow Ulster down. Mm. Because whenever Ulster can't get quick ball, their backs become much less sharp than what they are mm-hmm. and then you look, you look at Cardiff's backs they have some really strong guys in, in that back line Jared Evans has turned into a quality operator at 10 and that he, he was actually quite unfortunate not to go to the World Cup look at Willis Halaholo in that midfield the back three you've got Matthew Morgan at fullback who has electric feet whenever you give him a chance he could step you in a phone box and I think Alan Summerhill on, on the wing is someone that a lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to because he's he's overlooked in favour of Lane and Morgan but he's a really quality guy too he's a real out and out finisher if you give him a chance he will finish but I think they're, they're hampered by Lane going away to the World Cup I think their scrum is something that hasn't been clicking quite as much as they want to. And I think Ulster will target that, especially with the way that their their scrum went went against the Kings, how they mm-hmm. turned that around from the week they had against the Cheetahs, where they struggled. Yeah. They can look at that scrum as somewhere that has made progression against the Kings and can maybe progress a bit more this week, especially back at home. So I would imagine Ul- Ulster will be looking at this as five points and... I, I think if they're not at least within touching distance of getting it, uh, I think they'll be disappointed because yeah. coming back home, the guys have been talking about, you know, af- after the week off, it's been a, roughly a month since they've played at Kingspan Stadium. Yeah. So they're really eager to get going back at home, back in front of the home fans. And most importantly, they know that they need to maximise their mm-hmm. potential at home. They've mm-hmm. already done it once against the Ospreys and they, they know they need to do it again against mm-hmm. Cardiffs. And then they have uh, that Zebra at home the week after. So if we're sitting here in, in two weeks' time with another 10 points under the belt, things will be looking very rosy indeed. If you can be going into that uh, that month, 
sitting on 21 points mm-hmm. from their opening five games of the season, I think they'll be absolutely delighted. Absolutely. All, all of this block at the start of the season, the World Cup block at the start of the season is about is getting as many points on the board. Now that, that sounds stupid because every, every game is about getting as many points on the board as possible. But during the World Cup, if you come out of that little block sitting maybe better than you projected you would be before the World Cup began, then that's a huge momentum boost that you can ride for the rest of the season. I know we keep harking on about it, but you look back to the year that Connacht won the uh, won the Pro 12. That was the year during the World Cup that they just came out of the blocks like a train and they just picked up so many points during the World Cup and then they rode that momentum for the entire rest of the season and it eventually took them to the title. So I think if Ulster come away at the end of the World Cup and they look back, they've got a bit of a lead over Glasgow in terms of the race for the playoffs. They're at least in touching distance with Leinster. We'll see how the Cheetahs cope away from home. Their home form has been exceptional, but we'll see how they cope whenever they have to go away from home because they can be two completely different teams on the road compared to in Bloemfontein. But if Ulster are sitting in the top three after five games and they've got that little bit of a cushion, then I think they'll be sitting there going, we're sitting pretty good. Mm -hmm. They've got two great games coming up here in Cardiff and Zebra where they should be coming away bare minimum nine points, ideally ten points. And I said, I think honestly, if they came away with nine points, they they would be feeling a little bit, a uh, little bit disappointed. Yeah. Well, look, I'm feeling confident. I think the the ten points are coming up. So people can obviously uh, get on the website and follow the live blog on with yourself on Friday evening, and we will be back next week then to look back at that and ahead to the Zebra game. Looking forward to it as always. Make sure you get on read the live blog because I have a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> and we have a lot of fun reading. Thank you very much, Adam. Talk to you next week. You're welcome, Gareth. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundups World Cup Special brought to you in association with Rima Suomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stogus Nationwide. <laughs>